Okay, guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, keep going with the service here this morning. Okay, okay, okay. Y'all, I love, I love the chatter. Uh, yes, bring it down, bring it down. Uh, if that time felt awkwardly long for you, uh, if that time felt awkwardly long for you, uh, sorry, I'm not sorry, okay? That, that's really intentional for us here, that we believe that what we're doing is uh, we are living out this reality that we are part of the body of Christ, and part of that is getting to know the people around us, which can sometimes be uncomfortable, but is a really important thing for what we believe uh, God is doing here. So if you're new and you're going you're gonna to come back, maybe not after that, but we, we, if, you do, if you do come back, just know that there will be the chance to say hi to all these people again. So, uh, yeah, so this morning, and this happened several times this week, as I was driving to work, I, I was on, I guess it's 24 to 40 to 65, is that how it goes? And there's this billboard uh, that says, pray, God listens. Pray, God listens. And it was not one of those billboards that you pass when you keep going on 65 on your way to Florida and they're trying to like scare you with the billboards. It's not one of those billboards, right? This, this was an advertisement. Uh, and the, the advertisement was pulling on this idea that all of us as people pray. To say to someone, pray, God listens, it's, it's a marketing ploy. Because what they believe is that that is uh, a, a general enough statement that you are going to be pulled in by it. There's nothing offensive in saying, pray, God listens. Because we all believe, this is kind of the default setting for us, that, uh, that if God exists, that he is generally, like vaguely uh, disposed toward us in a positive way. And that's true here in a place like, like East Nashville where a lot of us uh, are working through our, our youth group hangovers, right? That's very true here that a lot of people in Nashville come with all of this baggage from their past about what it means to be a part of a church. It's true for many of us. But even when we come with that baggage, even when we're working through that baggage, the, one of the things that we hold on to most tightly is this core belief that God, if he exists, is somehow vaguely, positively disposed toward us. And that's true. Even if, 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 there have, if there's no specificity to your religious beliefs, one of the things that we hold on to tightly as a people is that God is love, Right? If you were to go out and conduct some random survey, you were to ask people, hey, what is God like? That one of the first things that I think anybody would say is, God, if he exists, is a God of love. But there's often very little concrete to describe for us what that love actually looks like. And what we're, what we're studying this morning is the opening to the Lord's Prayer. What's the opening to the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, right? Even if you've not been in church in a long time, maybe your whole life, you probably know that's how the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father. And when Jesus teaches us to pray by starting his prayer with our Father, he is telling us that God is, his love for us is so much more real than this feeling that God is somehow vaguely, positively disposed toward us. It's far more concrete than that, far more real than that, far more strong than that, far more fierce than that. That our God loves us like a father loves his child. 
So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be, as you know, this summer, we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to be doing that through different passages of Scripture. And the passage that we're going to be in this morning is Galatians 4. It's this passage that talks about what it means for us as a people to be a people who have been adopted by God, who have been made His children. That God is not just vaguely positively disposed toward us, but that our God is a dedicated and delighting Father. And that because he's a dedicated and delighting father, he has called us into a whole set of new relationships, which includes a relationship with his devoted son, our devoted brother, Jesus. He's given us his declaring spirit. So if you're a note taker, you can recognize that alliteration. Those are our three points, right? A dedicated and delighting father, a devoted son and brother, and a declaring spirit. That's where we're going this morning. I just want to remind you that our hope like what we are doing here, we talk about this all the time, this is not a show, right? That what is happening here is not about what is happening up here or over there. That what is happening here is about what God is doing in your heart this morning because we believe the Spirit of God is moving. And this is more than an information transfer about like you learning some fun facts and uh, some biblical trivia about what it means that God is Father. It's more than that. The, what we are praying and hoping for is that God moves that knowledge down into our hearts that he changes what we desire and what we love through what we're reading in his word this morning. And that that would change not only how we think and how we feel, but it would change how we live. That it would affect our wills. That we, our hope this summer, is that we would grow as a praying community through preaching through the Lord's Prayer. That God would be changing our minds and our hearts and also the ways that we live through his word this morning. That's what we're doing. I'm going to invite Sam to come up. Sam Marshall is reading the word for us. It's out of Galatians 4, and it's verses 4 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you want a Bible, you don't have one, we have them at the table in the back, and it will also be on the screen uh, behind us as Sam reads. Okay, Sam, when you're done, will you take this mic and this Bible down with you? Okay. This is God's word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Yes. Galatians 4.4, 4. but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Guys, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, we're thankful for your, uh, your life-giving spirit and pray that as we dive into it this morning, dive into your word, Lord, would you, uh, would you speak to us? Would you change us, Lord? Would you, uh, would you transform us? And we pray these things uh, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Okay, so uh, what we're gonna talk about first is God God as Father. God is our dedicated and devoted Father. 
And we got to kind of give a warning right off the bat when we start talking about God as Father. There are all kinds of traps that we can fall into here. You may be wondering, right, uh, is, this, is this just the Bible reinforcing the patriarchy? Right, taking these, these cultural conceptions of God as a domineering uh, or, or kind of someone who uses his power against people and we're just supposed to put all of that onto God. Or it could be that you, that you hear God, our Father, and the first thing that you do, and this is, this is so natural for all of us, is to take our ideas from our own fathers and then layer those on top of God. Okay, that's called idolatry to take our earthly conceptions of what God is like and put those on to God. And what the scripture is calling us to here when we call God Father, what the scripture in Galatians is calling us to is rather than taking our earthly ideas of what a father is and reading those back onto God, it calls us to come to the scriptures and ask, what does the scripture teach us about who God is? That we would let God's word form our idea of what it means that God is Father. And the father that you will find in the pages of scripture is not a God who in any way endorses the patriarchy, is not a God who, who is like your earthly father, that there may be some similarities, but he is a God who is so much greater than that. And our, our kind of paradigmatic example uh, of, of God as father from the Old Testament, the, the place that we have to go if we're going to talk about God as father is the exodus. It's when God calls his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And this is how the, one of the prophets, Hosea, describes that act of God calling Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. Hosea says, when Israel was a child, this is God speaking, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals, offering offering and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim, that's Israel, to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and fed them. In this moment of redemptive history, when God goes to his people who were in slavery in Egypt, it says in Exodus 2, we talked about this last week, that God heard the groans of his people, that God saw them, and that God remembered his covenant promises to them. That our God was moved with compassion when he saw the people of Israel in slavery. And so what he did is he called them out of slavery. He delivered them, and he brought them not only out of slavery, but into a new thing. And the new thing that he brought them into was his family. He brought them into relationship with him. He brought them into relationship with him as father. He brought them into this new relationship with him because he was dedicated to their well-being. And over the course of their history, God continued to show what it looked like for him to be their father. The Westminster Confession of Faith, it, it describes God's fatherhood with these terms. It says, like a father, God has compassion on, protects, provides for, and chastens them, his children. God has compassion on, protects, provides for, and chastens them. And we see all of those words, even though they're kind of like old-fashioned sounding, at work in the story of the nation of Israel. That God had compassion on them. It's, like, it's what we just said. It's what caused him to move toward them and call them out of slavery. That God protected them. We see that in their journey on, in, all throughout the wilderness. That whenever enemies come against God's people, God fights for his people. He defends them. 
That's what happens at the, at the Red Sea, right? Pharaoh's army is coming after the Israelites. God parts the Red Sea and lets them through and then closes the sea back on their enemies. God defends, he protects his people. As a father, God provides for them. Right, they're, they're out in the wilderness in the desert with nothing to eat, nothing to drink, and God rains down foods from heaven, food from heaven. He provides water from them from a rock. That God is a good father, as a dedicated father, provides for his children. He even chastens them. And that word chasten, uh, really it's just saying that God disciplines his children. But that is something that God does, does, does for his children because he loves them. Right, that one of the most unloving things a parent can ever do for their child is to tell them yes to everything they ever want, right? And then what God does is there are times where God tells us no, that he actually shapes us, he moves us, and he's molding us into the people he created us to be. That's his discipline in our lives. That's how God expresses his dedication to his people in the Old Testament. And he does more than that. He's not only a dedicated father, but he's a father who delights in his children. Psalm 18, 19 says it like this. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. We see that all throughout the poetry of Israel, all throughout the Psalms, this idea that God rescues his people. He brings them to himself so that he can delight in them. If you think about... uh, when we think of like different generations and how they fathered their kids, we look back at like people who were born in the Depression, right? Like, oh, those are people who they, they provided for their kids. Like they did the deal, they worked the job, they put food on the table, but like maybe they were a little emotionally cold. And, and what the scripture is saying is that God is, is he, God provides for his children and he does more than that. He delights in them. That's not something that's like that's unique to our modern kind of parenting. That is a biblical idea of what it means to be a father, is to delight in your children. Because God delights in his children. He delights in you. I think about, like, what does that look like? And my wife was out of town last week, two weeks ago, with our oldest and our youngest, so I've just had me and our middle son, Banks. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? <laughs> Because when there's a bunch of them, you, you, you kind of like the activity kind of runs itself. You know, you just got to keep them, keep them moving, like get to nap time, get to bedtime. Okay, we did it. But now it's just one. And I'm like, now how do I do this thing again with just one of you? And so we are sitting at Waffle House. <laughs> it's cheap breakfast, right? All he wants is waffles anyway. He's not going to even eat all, of, eat all of them. We're sitting at Waffle House playing paper, rock, scissors. Which he doesn't know how to play because he's two, right? But we're like figuring it out. And... That was it for him. He woke up, he woke up one morning, hey, what do you, we can go anywhere for breakfast this morning. Where do you want to go? Because I don't want to cook breakfast. And he's like, all I want to do is play this little game with these colored balls and move them around, these wooden slots with you. Right? All he was saying was, just, just pay attention to me. doesn't matter where we go. doesn't matter what we do. I just want to know you love me. That's our God toward us, a God who delights in us. That's the Old Testament picture, and that picture only comes into sharper focus in the New Testament. We get it from the lips of Jesus in Luke 15 when he tells us the the parable of the prodigal son. If you don't know it, it's about this son who tells his dad, basically, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And the dad says, okay. He takes the money, he runs far away, and he just kind of blows it, living this hedonistic lifestyle. 
and he ends up kind of, he's, he's coming to his senses. He's like, I got to go back to my dad because at least my dad takes really good care of his servants. So I'll give him this whole speech. Dad, I'll work for you. I'll do all these things. And as he's coming home, his dad oof, uh, sees him, right, from a long way off. And he runs toward him, which was this incredibly demeaning thing for a father to do at that time. You had this picture of this old man who was like gathering up his robes and it's like running to meet his son. And before his son can get out any words, he just wraps him in this hug. And he loves him. He kisses him. He tells his servants, bring a robe, bring a, bring a ring, bring sandals. My son who is dead is alive again. He's home. And he showers his son with grace and with mercy, with love and with kindness. He brings him home and he says, we're going to throw a party for you because we're so glad that you're home. All those people who are so embarrassed by how much I love you, all those people who are, who are criticizing me for embracing you, I'm going to invite all of them here and we're all going to throw a party and they're going to be so pumped about this party, they're going to come and celebrate this. That's how much I love you. That's how much I delight in you. And the older brother who is outside crossing his arms because he's a dutiful older son, the father even goes out to him and begs him to come in. He's saying even to that son, I love you so much. Come and be a part of the party. That is the picture of a father that the scriptures give to us. That when we call God father, we're calling on a God who is dedicated to us and who delights in us. And that speaks deeply to each of us because we all, uh, I mean, we all ache for that kind of father, don't we? That all of us, all of us have that ache for a father inside of us. And whether you would say your father was a good dad or a bad dad, it doesn't matter. We all have that ache in us because we have an eternal desire an eternal desire for a father. There's this guy, James K.A. Smith. He wrote this book called On the Road with St. Augustine. He's a chapter all about fathers. And in it, uh, he quotes Bruce Springsteen. So I'm going to quote Bruce Springsteen for you. And this is Bruce Springsteen quoting someone else who I don't know. I don't know. T-Bone Burnett. Any of you know him? Okay. So T-Bone Burnett said that rock and roll is all about Daddy! It's one, rock and roll, it's one embarrassing scream of daddy. It's just fathers and sons that you're out there proving something to someone in the most intense way possible. It's like, hey, I was worth a little more attention than I got. You blew that one, big guy. Even when it looks like we've given up the search and couldn't care less, we act in ways that keep saying, look at me, dad, do you see me now? We can't stop wanting to be seen, known, and loved whether we had a good dad or a bad dad or something somewhere in between, we all have an ache for a father because that ache is for something eternal. And putting that on the weight of our fathers is only going to crush them. But what we see in the scriptures is this picture of a father who is dedicated and who delights in his kids, who meets us in that place of our eternal desire and says, I'm here, I see you, I've come for you. And that changes the way that we pray. It changes the way we think about what it means to mature as a Christian. Like, think about what it means to be a, like an, a, an adult child with adult parents. You've all had that experience. 
the kind of our idea of what it means to mature uh, is to grow up and be independent of our parents. We're happy to accept their advice when they offer it. Maybe, right? Maybe not. But we take it as advice. I may or may not take it. Happy when you come and babysit, right? Thrilled. If you want to give me a gift, I'm, I'm happy to take it, but I just want you to know I don't have to have it. Unless, of course, I am in the, like, the worst place imaginable, and then you are my ultimate safety net, right? That that's often how we treat God in prayer. Thank you for the advice. I may or may not take it. I've got a few requests that I may or may not put out there for you, but don't worry if you don't come through. Like, it's not going to hurt my feelings. I'll just be a little bit disappointed and complain about it. But, like, if something goes really wrong, like, then I will come to you. But I have nowhere else to go. No, that is not maturity in the Christian life. It's not maturity as a person either. We can talk about that separately, okay? Uh, but that we're being invited deeper into dependence on our Heavenly Father. That we would go even back into that stage of being teenagers where we know we are dependent on our parents, uh, but we're kind of jerks about it with them. Like, I know I got to ask you for stuff, right? But like, sometimes it still makes me mad. And your parents have to remind you, well, I paid for this house. And you're like, well, one day. Okay, you get that. That's like, that's how you mature in the Christian life. You're like, you're going, you're going backwards. You're learning how to do it. But even to go back further than that, to be a child who I will tell you, a child, children, you don't have to even know that. You don't have to be a parent to know this. You can just go volunteer in Kid Town, okay, if you want to learn this lesson. They will ask very boldly for whatever they want. Whatever. And they do that with their full heart because they trust the people that they're asking. That's what it means to have a dedicated and delighting father is to come with our requests, not because the requests are the main thing, but because we have a father. Guys, right before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us, God already knows what you're going to ask before you even ask. So you're like, well, why would I ask in the first place? Because he wants your heart. He's drawing you into relationship with him through this thing called prayer. So come on. But God was not content to leave that relationship uh, in, in this place of dedication and delight, that he actually took it a step further and he chose to do something legal about it. He chose to adopt us and make us his children. And this idea of adoption, it does not sound, uh, it doesn't sound warm and fuzzy, right? But it is an incredibly important part of God's love for us that he would do something legal to make us his children. There's uh, this person... Uh, I'll just tell you the story, okay? A guy who, uh, in, in high school, um, got his girlfriend pregnant and decides, okay, we're going to get married, we're going to do the thing, and so they do. For several years, they, they make a family together. And that, that, his wife at one point said, you know what, I'm, I'm out, I'm over it, I'm leaving. And this, this child, in fact, is not even yours. This is a true story. And, and this guy's response to that moment was to say, well, then I'll adopt him. I'll make it legal. That my love is so, is so real for this person that I'm going uh, to make it official and I'm going to give this person, this child, the right to call on me as father. That's what, Jesus, that's what God the Father has done for us. And he did it, Galatians tells us, by sending forth his son. But our dedicated and delighting Father sent us his beloved and devoted Son. Verse 5 in Galatians 4 says this, that 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And that word redeem, it pulls on the, the image of slavery because that word redeem means to buy out from. It was used in reference to slaves and slave markets, slaves who could redeem themselves and buy their own freedom or slaves who buy someone else could be bought out of slavery into a new kind of world and relationship, into freedom. See, what, what Paul is doing in Galatians here in, in this passage is he's pulling on this paradigmatic episode of, of the fatherhood of God from the Old Testament. He's throwing us back to the Exodus. And he's saying, in the way that you think about God rescuing his people from slavery and bringing them out into the promised land, bringing them into this new relationship with God, that is what Jesus has accomplished for each one of us in a way that is far deeper than the nation of Israel could wrap their, wrap their minds around at the time. Before our adoption by God, we live in slavery. Verse 7 teaches us that. So you are no longer a slave but a son, which means before you're a son, you're a slave. And that concept can be hard for us to wrap our minds or our hearts around. But let me just explain it this way, that throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, uh, apart from Christ, we're described as being enslaved to various things. It may be the passions of our flesh. It may be the elemental principles of this world. It may be sin. What Scripture teaches us is that uh, we are all giving our hearts to something or to someone. It may be power. It may be comfort. It may be money. It may be sex. That whatever it is that we are giving our hearts toward, whatever we are making the ultimate thing in our lives, that those things will shape us they will have an effect on us as we seek them. And what the scriptures teach us is that when we put anything in that place that is not ultimately God, that those things misshape us. They deform us. They make us less who God created us to be. And in that sense, they act as prisons for us. And we're comfortable talking about addictions that way, right? When you're addicted to drugs or you're addicted to alcohol, whatever it is, that when you're addicted, you can say, oh, yes, that person is living in slavery to that thing. But what the New Testament is doing is pulling us out and saying that's true about anything that we put first place in our lives that's not God. And if you want a really benign example, I want you to think about, um, do any of you identify as people pleasers? Don't raise your hands, okay, because we're going to use this as an example. So you don't, we don't want to... Uh, we could talk about people pleasing like it's this very kind of generic, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, my biggest flaw is I'm just too kind. You know, I care too much. But that's kind of how we say it, right? But guys, do you recognize that people pleasing is a way of being enslaved? It's enslaving, isn't it? It deforms us. It makes us less who God created us to be. What, what happens when you and I act like people pleasers is we will say to the people, we, we stop telling the truth, otherwise known as lying, by withholding key information that we think might make other people dislike us even a little bit. And slowly we start serving this thing that is not the truth. We build this whole web of lies. We overcommit. Does anyone connect to that? And here's the thing, is what we want is for people to like us and our commitment to that eventually makes people not like us because they recognize that we're lying or that we're making commitments that we can't fulfill. And then when we don't fulfill them, it's a horrible disappointment. And then as people who are trapped in this prison, we have no way to get out of it except doubling down on our people-pleasing. Yeah, so we laugh about it, right? But that's what it means to be enslaved. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to buy out those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That God sent forth his son. And when, when, when Jesus is called the son, his sonship is different than our sonship. Okay? That he is if you want to think about it in this way, this is metaphorical, right? That he is the biological child of God the Father. That he is, in his very essence and being, God. The creeds of the Christian faith say it like this. They say that God of God, light of light, he is, he is eternally of the Father. He exists not as a created being, but as, as a co-equal part of God, and yet always in relationship with God the Father as God the Son. And it's this son who was sent by the father because of the father's love for us, because of the son's devotion to the father and to us as a brother who came into the world, who willingly came to rescue us, who left all of the comfort, all of the ease, all of the riches of heaven to come and live amongst us, these enslaved people. so that he might rescue us and give us adoptions that we adoption that we would be made sons of God that we could become as he is and so he teaches us to pray our father when Jesus says our father this is the picture i want you to have is Jesus putting his arm around you and saying i'm going to teach you to pray how i pray and this is how i pray our father which means Jesus is inviting you to speak to God the Father in exactly the same way that he does. That you are being invited to speak to God the Father as if you were ontologically the Son, as if you, from the same position as the Son who is the essence of God, you are being invited into that same kind of relationship. And that is stunning, and it is a new thing. You guys, all throughout the Old Testament, God, when he is referred to as father, I think it's, it's some 15 times God's portrayed as father. It's always in the sense of a, of a metaphor. God is like father. It's like when you have a mentor and you say, this person is like a father to me. But Jesus is doing something totally different. He's calling, dad, he's calling God by the title of father. And it really freaked people out. Just like it would be really weird if you started calling your mentor dad, right? It would be a weird thing. It freaked people out. There's this guy, Wesley Hill, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, he says this. There are nearly half a million words in the Hebrew Bible, yet God has only portrayed his father some 15 times. Yet when we turn to the New Testament, we immediately notice gone is the reserve of the Old Testament when it comes to calling God Father. If you were to tally how many times Jesus uses the name for God, Father as the name for God, the total would reach approximately 65 by the time you finish the Gospel of Luke and over 170 by the time you reach the end of the Gospel of John. Something new is happening. Jesus is bringing us into this new reality of being able to call God Father in the way he calls God Father. Do you see the boldness that that gives us in prayer? None of this, guys, I know because I spend time with you. We, you guys, we spend all this time talking about, like, can I really ask God for that, you know? 
Do I want it or do I need it? I don't know. I don't know if I can really pray that. Yeah, you can. Just pray it, okay? God knows. He will take care of it. He's dedicated to you. He delights in you. You don't have to hold back. Come boldly into his presence and ask for what you want. Oh, what about when it comes to forgiveness though, right? Didn't we kind of do like the Charlie Brown, you know, coming into God's presence, hanging our heads? Oh, even with forgiveness, you have been given the, the same status, the righteousness of Jesus to come into the presence of God and to ask him for forgiveness. No head hanging. You can be bold with it. God, will you forgive me? And the answer is always yes. The answer is always yes because he already forgave you for it. So run on in and ask for the forgiveness. Our Father, we get to pray with boldness. And yet, guys, we, we've got to acknowledge this, that to, be, to call God Father uh, is to take a huge risk. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it is possible, would this cup pass, for me, pass from me? Father, if it's possible, could I avoid the pain that I know is coming? And what does the Father say? There's no other way. That the word father, this word Abba, is, is a precious word. It, it does mean daddy, and it also is a word that was used for revered teachers. It's a word that you used for someone who had authority in your life. So for us to call God father is to say, God, I am submitting to you. Now, you know this, if you have followed Jesus for any length of time, that when you call out to God as Father, when you are walking in the way of Jesus, there are times that walking in that way actually brings more pain into your story, doesn't it? It did for Jesus. That calling God Father means letting him set the boundaries on your life. It means that the way that we live out our sexuality is going to be different because of the ways that God has bounded our lives. That can be incredibly painful. There are actually proactive choices that God calls us into when we call him Father that make our lives painful. That he calls us to identify with him. And that there are times where letting ourselves be known as Christians invites pain into our lives, doesn't it? That becoming a follower of Jesus means giving your heart away to people in this world who will hurt you. That calling God Father is a huge risk. But there is comfort for us even in the risk. Every time that we see Jesus pray in the New Testament, that he, start, he starts his prayers with, with calling God Father, except for one time. You know when that one time was? It was when he was hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus, who knew God as Father so intimately, went to the cross knowing that that would be the place that his Father turned his face away so that God would never turn his face against us. That went to the cross full well knowing the weight of sin that was going to fall on him, the weight of God's wrath, the isolation, the pain, and the suffering that because of his great delight for you, because of his desire to make you his son. Because of his great delight in you, his desire to make you, God's delight and desire to make you a son, Jesus' desire to make you his brother, 
oh, now you have been adopted. We can come into God's presence as dependent children with boldness, um, with appropriate fear and submission to God our Father. And we do it because we have received the inheritance of a declaring spirit. Because this is why it's so important that, that we have all been called sons, male or female. Okay, because in the, in the ancient world, uh, women were not able to inherit property. We're not able to inherit property like men. And so for Paul to say we have all now been made sons is to make as inclusive as a statement as possible. He is saying to men and to women, you have all been given this same right of inheritance in God. You all have a sure inheritance. There's no thing that can keep you from that inheritance. That if you come to God through Jesus, you have all been given the same inheritance and that inheritance is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's been poured into our hearts who is always crying, Abba, Father. That is the Holy Spirit's job. It's a, he's a declaring spirit. He's always declaring to us what is true because there are times in our lives, aren't there, where we need to be reminded that God is Father? When we pray our Father and what that, what that causes is that we come under God's submission, when that brings pain and suffering into our lives, those are the places that we are most uh, prone to believing that God is not our Father. That when we look at this immense pain that we often are living in, that we say, how could God be dedicated to me? How could God delight in me when my life, when I hurt this much? And in that place, what the Spirit is crying out for you is Abba, Father. That when your head and your heart can't take it, that what God's Spirit is telling you, what he's declaring to you is that even in that place, you are a beloved child of God. And there is nothing, there is no pain that can separate you from that love. That's the Spirit's job. And there are times and places that pain when our prayers have no words. We think, God, I've got nothing to bring to you. I have nothing to say to you. I'm so angry. I'm so sad. And we're silent. And in those places, the Spirit is still crying out, Abba, Father. And the journey of, of maturing in Christ, this journey of prayer that we're talking about, is learning that even in those very tender places to tune our minds and our hearts to hear the Spirit crying out what is true on our behalf, to hear the Spirit declaring that for us and to us, and it's the call of maturity is, is harmonizing our hearts with that call. Abba, Father, Daddy. So let the Spirit cry out. That's the invitation of prayers in those moments of pain, to be silent and to hear the Spirit crying out for you Well, you don't have the strength to cry yourself. So we have a dedicated and a, and a delighting Father who has come and who has met us in this great place of our own need and longing, who's adopted us and done it through the work of his devoted son and our devoted brother Jesus, who calls us to come into God's throne room with boldness, 
with the same assurance of faith that he had coming into the presence of the Father. And then as we, as we do that, as we go on this journey of, of growing deeper in prayer, that in those moments when we cannot muster the cry to God, the prayers that, that we cannot muster prayer to God, that in those moments the Holy Spirit is in us crying out, Abba, Father. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and we're going to worship now. And as we worship, it's a chance for us to live into those realities of the reality of God as our Father, of Christ as our devoted brother, and of the Spirit who is always crying out in us, Abba, Father. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you have adopted us, that you've made us your children. Jesus, we're thankful that you have come as the devoted son, but also our devoted brother. Would you put your arm around us even now? Lord, as we worship, as we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray, would you come alongside us and teach us to pray our Father? Would you tune our hearts to that cry through your Holy Spirit this morning? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.